0: Thank you, Rodney. That was awesome. So much talent in this church. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's word. and we're reading, reading in Matthew chapter six. Yeah, the kids can be dismissed. Sorry, Kim. That's kids under 12, okay? If you're a kid at heart, you have to stay in here. So uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19, "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal." But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, Oh, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, bless this word. Multiply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think we need to just do this all together. I think we all need just to have one good cough together, okay? I just kind of sensed that, so on the count of three, let's just get a real good cough so it's not tickling our throat. One, two, three. <coughs> Boy, that felt much better. You know, habits matter. Routines matter. We've been examining uh, shaping habits and the habits of life, and, and, and I think we tend to think that we're defined by the big moments of life. In other words, the big events are what shape us and define us, but it's the habits, and the routines of life that shape those big events. Uh, I, I asked in the first service, and, and I, I got a kind of tepid response. I'm curious, how many are, are LeBron James fans? In, in two? Man, I, you guys are just haters, aren't you? Uh, I know he went to Miami, but you know, right now, if you could choose Miami or Cleveland, which would you choose? Okay, I think I would choose Miami myself, but I, I'm a LeBron fan. I love to watch him play. I like NBA basketball, and Several years ago in the finals, the, um, the Spurs were playing the Heat. In game six, uh, it looked like the Spurs were going to win, and, and then we had this event. Go ahead and show this video clip, Meryl. you like basketball or not, and whether you like the Heat or not, to watch Ray Allen shoot that shot is a thing of beauty. As time's expiring, as the pressure's on, to watch him get his feet set as if he had all sorts of time to shoot the shot, it is an amazing thing to watch, and, and I loved, I've watched that several times as I prepared for this sermon, just watching him get his feet set. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, you know, Ray Allen stepped into that moment, and, and the moment made Ray Allen. But the truth of the matter was that that moment was shaped by routines and habits in Ray Allen's life. If you know anything about basketball, know anything about about, uh, Ray Allen, Ray Allen literally shoots hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of shots a day. As a matter of fact, he even practices. He'll he'll lay down in the lane and get up and move out to the three-point line to practice shots just like that. See, it wasn't just a moment. He didn't step into the moment. But because of the habits and the routines that he established, He was able to make the shot. As a matter of fact, several years ago, my oldest son's high school coach went to see uh, the Celtics play. And and when he went to the stadium, he was there earlier. It was one of those, those floors that they put in on over another floor. And so they were putting the floor down. As they were putting the floor down, Ray Allen was shooting on the parts of the floor they were putting down. Now, now, bear in mind, this guy was an all-star. This guy had been in the league 12 years when he was doing this. He, he didn't have to do this to make a team, but he was still governed by those routines and those habits. And those routines and those habits shaped that moment. It's the same for you. You, you are shaped by the routines and the habits that you establish in your life. Habits shape Life. It's not just the big events of life, but it's the habits that we form into the, our life, the routines that we form into our lives. And so we've been asking this question, are you shaping your habits or are your habits shaping you? In other words, are, are you just a product of the habits and routines of life or are you intentionally considering the habits, the routines of life and how they have an effect and shape your life? It's an invitation to consider not, not the big events of life but the routines of life. Jesus' words are an invitation to something better. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus is inviting us to to live a life that's not driven by all the consumerism and materialism around us and and all the the things outside of our world, outside of our life that can drive us. But he's inviting us to to seek God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's an invitation to action and to allow that seeking to shape us into something better. And something that, that in the big moments we could be proud of. And over the last two weeks, we, we've been considering this ideal of seeking first the kingdom of God and the, and the habits and routines that, that allow us to seek God first, the actions, the habits. Uh, week, the week two of the series, we, we said the primary habit of seeking God first is prayer and Bible study. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to, to seek after God uh, this morning, Prayer and Bible study has to be part of your daily routine. It's the same. It's impossible to be a non-breathing human. (laughs) And it's impossible to be a non-praying Christian. See, we are geared, we are molded, and if we want to see God, this ideal of hearing from him in prayer and the word is essential. You know, once in a while I'll hear somebody and they'll say, well, I don't hear from God in my prayer life. Can I give you just one thing you can do? Open up the Bible. <laughs> that the Bible are, is God's words to you, and it contains within it everything you need for life and salvation. Everything you need to be a follower of Jesus in this world is contained in that book. Everything you need to know to get to heaven is found in that book. God speaks through His Word, so it's a, we we can never say that God. We'll not speak to his people as long as we have the Bible available to us. If you have a, the Bible available to you, raise your hand. Okay, about two-thirds of you do, and we'll, we'll get the rest of your Bibles, okay? What is it with raising your hands? If you have an arm, raise it. About two-thirds of you have arms. You have God's word, so you can hear from him today. You can hear from him daily and then last week we talked about the habit of tithing submitting our finances to God and, and we, we had a pretty good time with that I don't, I don't think I offended anybody if I did I'm sorry I, I'm not trying to offend you but I, I believe it's essential I believe I believe in tithing folks I do and, and it, tithing's not about the church it's about your faith um I believe in it so fully that I'll say this. If you think somehow that when I'm preaching on tithing, it's about the benefit of the church or my benefit or building this kingdom here, give it somewhere else. You know, the board may beat me senseless, but the habit of tithing forms something in your life that is essential. It's the beginning of generosity. It is the beginning of submitting our finances to God. We said it like this last week. God wants your money. (laughs) God doesn't need your money, but God wants your money because oftentimes your money and your heart are connected. And so God wants all of you and many of of us, it begins with the habit of tithing. And we, we saw that tithing, the habit of tithing allows God to give me a kingdom perspective with regard to my possessions. That somehow, as I let go and give back to God, that God can begin to give me a kingdom perspective. And I can begin to see that everything belongs to him, that I am merely a steward. And then one thing that we focused on was that tithing makes me more God-dependent. As I give up part of my wealth, as I give up part of my finances, it makes me more aware that I am depending on God for every aspect of my life. And this week we're going to talk about another habit that I believe leads to God dependence and it's the habit of Sabbath. Tithing says that my value is not determined by my material possessions. I am not the sum of my bank account. I am not the sum of my income. I am not determined or defined by how little or how much I make. And Sabbath says... My value is not defined by what I produce. Can can we stop and admit in this world that much of our value, much of who we are, much of our reputation among other people is defined, or we believe it is defined, by how much we make or what we produce? And tithing says your value is not determined by your finances, and Sabbath says your production level is not defined your defining characteristic. And I titled this sermon, The Sabbath, The Habit of Submitting My Need to Produce to God. Now, every sermon I preach is as much to me as to you. And, and I want you to know that, that this is something that I struggle with in my life, this ideal of wanting to produce. I, I, I want to be productive. I want to be successful. I, I want to achieve. That This is something that's built into been built into my life. As a matter of fact, several years ago, we were having lunch with my my oldest son, and I don't know it was one of his many girlfriends. Can you edit that out? That sounded bad. <laughs> and 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 Terry's a CPA, and of course I I I you know I practice law, and then after I went into ministry, I got my master's. You know, so we, we've got I've got more letters after my name than than anybody needs. <laughs> And I kind of looked at him and said, why not you realize your mom and I are kind of driven on stuff, right? <laughs> and he just laughed. So I understand this. I'm, I, I'm with you here. It, it, I, I can many times set my value based on whether I feel I am being productive in my life, whether I am producing. And so Sabbath is something I've need to learn, I have needed to learn over the course of my life. Now, the scripture, scriptural basis for Sabbath is significant. It's found in the Ten Commandments. I think that's God's top ten list, right? <laughs> so it's pretty, right? Can we admit, if you think the Ten Commandments are important, say amen. amen. All right, thank you. <laughs> it's in the top ten, right? So, so it's pretty important, but there's two extremes with regard to Sabbath that you see. The, the first extreme is to ignore it. That, that Sabbath is something that's Old Testament, even though it's in the, in, in the, the Ten Commandments and there's n- no other part of the Ten Commandments that we would say that's just Old Testament, right? Murder is still bad, right? Okay. Uh, and we'd never say that that's bad, but somehow Sabbath becomes the outdated part of the Ten Commandments. And I, and I frankly got to tell you, I've never have understood that. And so there's this stream of, of pushing against it. Several years ago, I did a, a Bible study. And it was all older folks and, you know, hardworking, blue-collar people. And I started talking about Sabbath. And the feedback I got was, well, pastor, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. That feels good to say. Let's say that together. A man's got to do what a man's got to do, right? And I kind of posed the question. I said, well... If your occupation was a hitman, <laughs> couldn't you say the same thing? Now, they didn't like that line of reasoning, okay? And, and, and I understand on the two, I would rather you break the Sabbath than kill me, okay? Uh, even though maybe sometimes you feel like it would be better. But we'll, we'll move on. So there's this extreme of pushing it back against that because production is so important. It's important to produce. It's important to be a good worker. As a matter of fact, don't we value people who have this awesome work ethic? You know, somebody that will work all the time, don't we pat them on the back and say, well done, you're a hardworking person. And then I consider in the Old Testament when, when they considered this commandment. In Numbers 15, we have the first person who breaks the Sabbath, and he's, break, he's picking up sticks in his yard. And you can kind of feel the tension with the people as they come to Moses and to God with what to do with the Sabbath breaker. You know, it's like, well, he's picking up sticks in the yard. That's kind of good. He's cleaning up his yard. Aren't you glad when your neighbor cleans up their yard, right? And he's doing it on the Sabbath. What do you want us to do? And, and God says, stoning, killing. Can I say I don't always under the old, understand the Old Testament and some of the punishment, but I would say this: God takes Sabbath serious. It's important to Him. It matters to Him. So, so I don't think it's possible. Or it's right to to ignore it. I I think it's significant. I think the second approach is a legalistic approach and. This is the approach that that drains all the life-giving power out of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, you cannot laugh on the Sabbath. You cannot smile. You've got to wear uncomfortable shoes on the Sabbath. You've got to dress in an uncomfortable way. If it's hot, you can't turn the air conditioning on. If it's cold, you can't turn. The the Sabbath is for... ah, it's got to be done in a certain way on a certain day and, and and if you work and your job requires then guess what you're just out of luck I don't think it's right to ignore it and I don't think it's right to take a legalistic approach to this essential habit in the life of a believer there's a couple stories in in the new testament that I think Sees, allows us to see how Jesus teaches the Sabbath. In Mark uh, chapter 2, there's this story. And, and Jesus is walking through the fields with his disciples. And as they're walking through the fields, they're plucking grains of, uh, of wheat and they're eating. And the, the Pharisees see this and they consider this harvesting. <laughs> this is a real legalistic approach to the Sabbath. And they say, why do your disciples break the Sabbath? And Jesus He says, don't you understand that Sabbath wasn't made, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, Sabbath is for our good, not simply a rule to follow. God was not just giving us another obligation. He was giving us something that helps us and breathes life into us. There's another story that helps us understand, and it's found in Matthew 13 or Matthew 12 and And you have several stories in the New Testament like this. Jesus is confronted with this person that needs healed on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are kind of watching Jesus to see what he does with this person who needs healed. And Jesus says, who of you, if you had a lamb that was in a ditch, wouldn't reach down and pick him up and get him out? And he heals this guy on the Sabbath. And so you find through this story, this little parable, the Sabbath is for healing. So Sabbath gives us a space for our bodies and our emotions to heal. A Sabbath rest to physically recover. A Sabbath rest to allow the healing of our emotions. So I look around this room, I wonder, could it be that, that some of you are dealing with sickness and stress in your life simply because you just won't stop? That, that, that you're working yourself literally to Death, that, that you're just, you're, you're working yourself to sickness and to stress because you're, you're refusing to intentionally take a day not to run. And can we admit just for a moment that, that when we're running, it's not always for a paycheck, right? S- sometimes we work harder on resting or relaxing days than we do on work days and we run and we run and we run and we produce and we produce and we're wearing ourselves out It's an old story in the book of exodus and and moses is judging all the people of israel and jethro who's his father-in-law and he later becomes one of the clampets I like to imagine, I, when they have names like that, I imagine it's Jethro Bodine telling him that, just to kind of give some energy to the story. And Jethro sees what his son-in-law's doing, and he, he counsels him. He says, what in the world are you doing? You're going to wear yourself out. I just wonder if our Heavenly Father would look at some of our lives and say, what are you doing? You're, you're just going to wear yourself out. See, Sabbath is a grace gift. It's a benefit from God. It's a habit that, that gives us life and allows for healing. That Sabbath does more than heals. I think the habit of Sabbath has an effect on our faith. And when we look at the reasoning, you, you find... The Ten Commandments given in two places in the Old Testament, it's in Exodus 20, and and then it's uh, repeated in Deuteronomy 5. In Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments, and it talks about remembering the Sabbath, and, and it gives a reason. It says, remember the Sabbath day, because God created six days, and then he rested. So I think the reasoning could be worded like this. Remember the Sabbath day, because God created everything. If you were created today, say amen. Man, some of you, I want to know where you came from, okay? Everyone in this room was created. Everything in this room was created by our Heavenly Father, all right? And and the Sabbath is to remind us that everything has been created by the hand of our Heavenly Father. Then Deuteronomy, it says, remember the Sabbath day? And and it it gives a slightly different reason. It says, remember... On the Sabbath, that you were slaves in Egypt. So we have in Exodus 20, remember because God created. And then in Deuteronomy 5, we say remember because God has delivered you from slavery. Who you are is all as a result of God's hand. So I put it like this. Sabbath teaches us that we are completely depending on God For what we have and who we are. What you have and who you are is a gift from your heavenly father. And Sabbath is a faith statement. Reiterating that on a weekly routine in our life. Look at your neighbor and tell them right now. Everything doesn't depend on you. Look look at him telling that. Everything doesn't depend on you. When we Sabbath, when we schedule in our appointment book one day a week to stop and rest and reflect and worship, spend time in relationship, we're saying, God, everything doesn't depend on me. <laughs> Amen. Now, I don't think that's just a one-day attitude. I, I think the habit of, is meant to create an awareness in our life. That one-day habit creates an awareness on other days. So, so let's say Sunday is your day of rest. Your your Sunday day of rest creates an attitude on Monday when you're sitting at your desk, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're having to produce, because work is good, and God put Adam and Eve in the garden and put them to work. Nothing wrong with work. I'm not suggesting somehow that we're not to, to, to be engaged in any kind of vocation, but when we're engaged in our work, we're reminded by that habit of Sabbath that everything doesn't rise and fall on me, and my production is not dependent on me, and who I am is not dependent on what I produce. It's to create an attitude where we're released we're released from this need to produce and make space for relationship with God and others. See relationships, are formed in the margins of life when when you create intentional space that that is where where relationships are formed and in your marriage relationship where there's no financial margin relationship is affected when there's no time margin relationship is affected and, and so relationships are built and formed in the margins of life our relationship with god our relationship with others and sabbath creates an intentional margin in your life where your relationships can grow, your relationship with God, your relationship with others. So what does Sabbath include? It includes worship. A central theme or a central ideal of of, of Sabbath is a time of thanksgiving, of counting your blessings, of praise and prayer. And that's why Sunday works so well for most. Guess what? Sunday's a work day for me. So I have to find sometimes another day in the week, and and even then, you know what I tend to do, and and, and this is where God's working on me, I find other places I need to produce, just like you. But but it should include a time of prayer and praise, and it, it, it should include time for relationship. I wrote some things down. Take a long, slow walk with a friend or family member. What a way to spend a Sabbath. Drink a cup of coffee and read your Bible. You can have coffee on the Sabbath. pastor's giving you the blessing, okay? (laughs) Find a time and just think about how merciful God's been in your life. Play a game of Monopoly with a child or a grandchild, and that will take the whole Sabbath day. (laughs) Bundle up, find a remote area, get a pair of binoculars and watch God's creation intentionally create space to reflect on God. Intentionally create space to relate with others. So where does the habit of Sabbath lead? The habit of Sabbath leads to God dependence. That's where we're going, depending on God. This week, I was reading in Philippians 4 and I was just reflecting on, on being content, and some of you read that stuff, and some of you don't, and I understand that, but, but God just kind of, as I was reading through Philippians 4, I looked at a commentary, and it's talking about Paul being content, and, and the commentary writer said, Paul was content because he was completely dependent on God. And it makes me wonder, is the problem that we're having In our life, because there's a lot of discontentment that we're just not dependent on God. So let me ask you: Are you content? (laughs) Are you content this morning? Are you so self-sufficient that 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 maybe you just need to habitually spend a day in your week, carve it out of your schedule? Every once in a while, I hear the phrase: "Well, when will things slow down?" Anybody say that? When will things slow down? See, you're afraid to raise your hands now. Got you gun shy. Can I say it another way? When will I slow down or when will you slow down? When will you just intentionally say enough? This treadmill that I'm on, this rat race that I'm running, is not worth what's at the end of the finish line. And when will we just stop? Sabbath is to intentionally stop in a habitual way because all that I am is not based on what I do and what I have, but it's on God. We're going to close in communion today and I think this is a perfect way to to close. Stand with me, Joe, and I don't know, is Josh coming? Okay, We'll dismiss you from the back. And uh, after you to, to receive the elements And after you receive the elements Go back to your seat And I'll give you some further instruction We're going to play a, a video as, as we begin to receive I'm going to pray first And then Amy will play When the video's is done um, But um, let's pray Lord help us now As we just stop and consider Sabbath uh, Lord we, we consider in the midst Of a, a communion meal Which is significant in and of itself The central part of worship Lord, may we, um, may we fully rest in you in this moment, but not just in this moment, in the week to come. In Jesus' name we pray. What a perfect close as we start to think about or continue to think about Sabbath. I love how that video ends. The, the world says do and the cross says done. <laughs> I want you to know that um, Jesus came and he died. They put the end, put to an end the sacrificial system. It's over. It's finished. Nothing else needs to be done. You have been fully reconciled, or you can be fully reconciled because of what Christ did on the cross. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. God loves you intimately and desires relationship with you and the cross. What we're signifying with these elements reminds us of that. But not only that, I always find it striking that the central part of Christian worship from the beginning has been this communion meal, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. It's been central in the church from the beginning. And all over the world today, there's Christians that are receiving these little elements, a meal. In the Church of the Nazarene, we consider it a sacrament, which means it's sacred to us. We believe that you encounter the presence of God in the midst of this act. It's important. And in the midst of doing this, we're saying a couple things. First, we're saying, hey, Jesus came and he died, and that's enough. But it also represents a table, and not just any table, but God's table. God's provisions, you have been invited to your heavenly father's table. There is a place for you. And so even what we're doing here is a habit that should form. We should be uh, welcoming people. Anybody that comes into our church, anytime we come into contact with people, we, we should welcome and host and encourage because God has invited us to be part of his table. And let me tell you, there is enough to eat at our Father's table. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, eat and be grateful. The blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, drink and be thankful. Our Heavenly Father, we just stop. We just stop. Stop. And we give you thanks. Every good gift. Is a gift from our Heavenly Father. And so Lord. All around us. We're surrounded by your good gifts. Little tokens of your love. And your care. You provide for us. You love us and you pursue us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. so no man can boast, because it's not anyone's righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God at work through Jesus Christ that brings us to salvation. I't well, that's, that's true from the beginning to the end. All that I am, all that I ever hope to be. Is bound up in your grace. So help us now, Lord, to um, to incorporate a habit into our life that honestly I think may change some lives tremendously. Lord, in this congregation, there's people that are constantly going, always running, always having to produce. And Lord, I'll I'll admit that the church oftentimes has been the worst abuser of people. People can work six days a week, and sometimes, Lord, then we wear them out the seventh. Lord, may this become a place of peace and rest. Lord, where we can laugh and we can cry and we can encourage and we can just share this journey together. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for your mercy in my life. And I pray, Lord, as we go from this place that I'll not have laid a burden on someone that's incorrect or undue. Lord, may I not be about the business of of legalistically laying things on people's lives that that just leads to restrictions. But Lord, may you take my words and, and where my words were were less than what you would have, may you lift them by the work of your Holy Spirit and give us life. Be with us, keep us. And as we go from this place, may we be, may we be shining lights for you May we bring glory to your name wherever we find ourselves today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Go take a nap.